Hi, it's your friendly ex-Muslim. I had the pleasure of being interviewed by Gorav, a student from Harvard studying economics and finance doing a podcast on Islamic finance. He wanted to discuss with me why I think Islamic finance is a scam. Here is our conversation. Do watch it and let me know what you think. So thanks, Abdullah, for coming on my podcast, which doesn't exist as yet. <laughs> so as I was telling you, this is for a university class. Uh, this is for one of my journalism classes. It's called podcasting. And I decided to do a story on Islamic finance. And the goal here is to explain what Islamic finance is from first principles. And so I want, um, I'm basically taking my listeners on a journey with me. And by listeners, I mean literally just my professor and maybe a couple of other students on a journey with me to, uh, to understand what Islamic finance is how it's practiced today, and whether Muslims um, should, whether Muslims should consider this, and if it's not a good decision for them, how can they reconcile that with their faith if they want to be true to their faith? And so I'm getting um, two to three experts on Islamic finance, and then I also have my my main character who's going to be uh, she's a she's this girl who. Um, who doesn't know anything about Islamic finance, but she has an open mind. She's interested in it. And so the two of us are going to be going on this journey together. And so I thought I, I came across one of your videos on YouTube as I was doing my research uh, titled Islamic Finance, just boldly titled Islamic Finance is a Scam. And so I thought, okay, let me reach out to you and understand from you, because you had an experience with Islamic finance. You were trying to get a mortgage. So that's why I thought I'll reach out to you and let's understand this together. Yeah. Yeah, sounds great. So, yeah, looking forward to this conversation. Uh, definitely is something I'm passionate about. Um, <laughs> this topic. So yeah, I'd love to love to have this conversation. Nice. And uh, okay, let, well, let's start then. I guess the the first thing let's let's uh, get into is what what is Islamic finance? Why does an entire religion have its own rules for a financial system. So Muslims are actually um, proud of the fact that Islam is a comprehensive way of life. It's, you know, they'll say it's not a religion. Although the funny thing is you'll hear other people say the same thing about their religion. They'll also say it's not a religion like Hinduism. It's a way of life. It's a system and whatever. But in particular, this is one of the main, like you could say, selling points of Islam is that it's comprehensive. It, you know, contains laws for um, not just moral conduct, but like the moral conduct goes into like finance, it goes into business, it goes into the how the state is run, stuff like that. So it's very comprehensive. So now, when it comes to Islam, Muhammad, the you know the the prophet, the last prophet, according to Muslims, the prophet of Islam, he had some let's call it guidance or not even guidance, more like regulations that he created. Uh, which maybe he thought was something that would ensure justice and fairness. Let's let's be charitable here. The idea is to make it easy, uh, make it fair and just. Okay, so my guess is he probably saw there was some injustice with usury, and so he he felt that you know being this leader of the Muslim community that this is how he will solve the problem, and the way he did it is by creating these rules. So. The rules are in, in Sunni Islam, there's basically two sources of um, law. There's the Quran 
and then there's a sunnah, right? The, these are the true main, the two main sources of Islamic jurisprudence. And of course, there's also the what the scholars say, and there's other other tertiary sources. But the main two sources are the Quran and the Sunnah. The Sunnah means the sayings of Prophet Muhammad, like basically what he said and what he did, right? So if we go by those two main things, I'm just going to share my screen. I mm -hmm. closed it by mistake. Okay, so. I have a blog post on this, but I, I have some of the references here, which I will just show you. We'll start with the Quran. So Quran says in very strong words, those who consume interest cannot stand except as one who stands, who is being beaten by Satan into insanity. This is an English translation by Sahih International, a popular translation. That is because they say trade is just like riba. It's, it's translated here interest, but actually the word is riba. But Allah has permitted trade and forbidden riba. So whoever has received an admonition from his Lord and desists may what may have what is past and is a fair rest with Allah. Well, whoever returns to basically riba, they are the companions of the fire. They will abide eternally therein. So the first thing you have is you have some Muslims that'll make an argument. They'll say, well, if you read this Quranic verse, it's saying riba. And riba means usury. It doesn't mean interest. It means excessive interest. Okay, so this is one argument that some Muslims will make. The problem with this argument is it's not well defended by the other texts of the Hadith, right? And of course, as I said, Sunni Muslims go by both Quran and Hadith and the scholars interpret these things and come up with the regulations. From this verse, you can see it's a very, very strong condemnation. It's saying you are going to be like a crazy person on the day of, the, interpreting it to mean on the day of judgment. You're going to be like an insane person that's been touched by Satan or beaten by Satan into insanity because you said interest and trade are the same thing or riba and trade, but God permitted trade, meaning buying and selling, merchantile business and whatever, but he forbade interest. And Muhammad, it's it's narrated or the tradition says that he used to be a merchant. So he used to buy and sell and you know that's how he met his first wife. He, he was working for Khadija and he was doing all this trade. And he, I mean, in this case, you know, according to Islamic context, Allah, the, the creator of the universe, is very angry at people that do riba. So much so that they're being th threatened with hell. And the it gets even worse than this because there's other hadith. I don't have them handy here. But like the other hadith are even stronger. They say, they, they say words like whoever does riba is like worse than zina or uh, adultery with your mother. It's like, it's considered a major sin. It is such a severe thing that many people say adultery is less bad. Many scholars will say it, you can even commit adultery and that would be a less of a sin than doing riba. <clears throat> so what is riba? So again, like I said, there's different opinions on what riba is. But according to the hadith, we can look at the, and by the way, feel free to interrupt me at any point. Yeah, so I do want to capture some of the Islamic finance terms here. So okay. I guess the very first is riba, which pertains to interest or increase, meaning that you can't make money on money. Yes, right? exactly. So let's look at let's look at um, the definition of what riba is according to Prophet Muhammad. So in this hadith in Sunan, Sunan of An Nasai, one of the collections of hadith, the Messenger of Allah said, "Gold for gold, weight for weight, like for like, silver for silver, weight for weight, like for like. Whoever gives more." or takes more has engaged in riba. So what that what that's saying is that whenever you do a transaction, you have to give, and, and you're doing it with one of these things, for example, gold, you cannot give some one amount of gold for another amount of gold, meaning like cash. So I cannot make a deal with you because of this hadith. 
I cannot make a deal with you that says you give me one hundred dollars and I'll give you back one hundred twenty next week. You can't do that. That's not allowed because of this saying of Muhammad. So what he is doing is he's forbidding interest, basically any form of it, even if you and and like like I said, I took an Islamic finance course by Dr. Taufik Chaudhry. He's a founder of um, not Al Maghrib. It's the other institute that's that's similar. I forget what it's called now. Anyway, so so he actually teaches Islamic finance, and he said the the regulation is so much so that you can't even do a favor for someone in exchange for delaying the money because then you're giving them an extra benefit so it's very strict it's because like i said some muslims will say it's usually it's excessive interest but if you look at the hadith the hadith says any sort of increase is not allowed whatsoever for and there's other hadith that explain even with dates there was an example of dates where muhammad said you cannot trade a, a larger amount of lower quality dates for a smaller amount of high quality dates. Now, the question that probably comes to your mind is why would that be? Why would we not be able to trade low quality dates for high quality dates? Well, the Muslim scholar will say, well, you have to sell the low quality dates for cash and then you can buy the high quality dates. Now, to, to nail this point in, Dr. Tofiq told us that in and he's a um, he's Salafi, meaning he follows a, the school of thought that's influenced by Saudi Arabia, also known as Wahhabism. But anyways, this is common even to non-Salafis, this idea of riba being haram, right? It's even my Sufi friend also does not buy, did not buy a house on interest. So even though this guy is of a particular school of thought, these teachings are universal across the board for all Sunnis. So he told me when he was in Saudi, he wanted to get gold for his wife. And he had some gold from her and he wanted to trade it in for a higher quality, like, you know. So he went, he said he walked into the store, he gave the, low, the the gold, he sold it for cash, and then he left the store and then he walked back in. So to make it clear that this was two transactions and he wasn't trying to work around, you know, the regulation. Now, you're probably wondering, like, what is going on here? Why would that, what's the difference? And to be honest, I don't think there's a difference. I really don't think there's any meaningful reason why you cannot trade a higher quality of some good for a lower, lower quantity of a higher value. It doesn't really make sense why you cannot just do that rather than train for cash and then not. And then, you know, it doesn't make sense. So but because of these rules and the fact is Muhammad came up with these rules. So one thing I didn't explain is all of Islamic jurisprudence is based on what Muhammad said and what he did and things in the Quran. But let's say, for example, we have something that didn't exist in the time of Muhammad. What would we do then? For example, let's say you want to, like a mortgage, like a, like a house mortgage that didn't exist, right? So what would we do? Muslim scholars will, will try to derive rulings from these sayings. So we have a man that lived 1400 years ago, sorry, um, and he came up with some regulations on how to deal with dates and gold and silver and wheat and barley and camels and stuff like that. And now we live in a world of like digital currency, Bitcoin, transactions online. And, and you know, most cash is virtual in the sense, even if you're not talking about Bitcoin, most money doesn't exist. It's, it's a number in a bank account. That's the world we live in today. But they have to take these, these sayings from the 7th century and apply them. And this is not just about finance. Everything in Islam is like this. It always has to go back to what the Quran says or what Muhammad said, or using analogy or using reason to try to anchor it back into the, the values of the religion. 
Yeah. So th thanks for bringing up the the scriptures. That that's very helpful. But what is the rationale behind this? I mean, say I want to borrow some money from you, yes. and I'm willing to pay you a small price for it because at the end of the day, you're doing me a service. You're you're giving you're you're giving me money at a time when I desperately need it, and at a time when you don't need it uh, very much. And so you're you're doing me a favor, and I'm willing to pay you for for that favor. That's a consensual transaction between the two of us. It's completely voluntary. What is the rationale behind uh, disallowing that? So, so like I was saying, I think this comes from I think this comes from a good place that probably Muhammad saw some people being taken advantage. We can we can say that the worst parts of interest or the you know the banking system are pretty bad. Uh, there's a movie I watched called Mother India. <laughs> excuse me, where the, this loan shark basically in India, you know, he signed some some illiterate man signed a contract to borrow some money because he was in debt from this guy. And then like generations later, his like children and his wife have to sell themselves into poverty or even prostitution in order to pay off the debt, which they don't even know what the debt was, why it was for it, what happened. So if you look at I'm not I'm not someone that believes that a completely free market is a good thing because I do believe that there will be people that exploit and take advantage of. So, for example, if you look at the worst parts of it, there are, you know, crushing loans by countries, the IMF international, you know, that there's loans that countries take that destroy the, the livelihood of a country. They end up focusing on cash crops just to try to pay off the debt, just to finance the debt. And they can't really build the country up because they took these loans and it's devastating just the interest alone. We know so many people, and I'm sure you know and I know people that their entire lives are ruined because of credit card debt, because they can't pay the interest on the debt. Some of them, you know, they lost the job and they get into a bad situation and they borrow money or they're just not good with their finances. They spend more than they earn. And so they end up being taken. Oh, even the worst ones are like the loan sharks that, you know, the payday loans where they have like 300% interest. And people are not, a lot of people are not financially literate. They get taken advantage of. So in Canada, the government added some regulations to the credit card companies and they limited these payday loans to a certain percent. And they added rules, like for example, the credit card company has to tell you how long it'll take to pay off if you, if you only pay the minimum balance. Sometimes it's like 46 years or something. People don't think about that. So they'll just drag it on. So if you want to be, if you want to be charitable, we can say that this is actually the intention of Muhammad. The problem is, and this is my problem, the problem is he threw out the baby with the bath water. There are also examples, like you said, where, first of all, it makes sense that if I'm, if my money, if I'm giving my money to you and you're using it to do something, well, I'm losing something there. I'm, I'm losing some, the time value of money. By the time I get it back, it's going to be worth less. Maybe in Muhammad's time, they didn't have this, this concept of inflation. But the fact is, this is the reality of the world we live in. You can't, you can't deny the fact that, to me, this is a very intrinsic thing about money. When you give it to someone, it's being used and they're using it. So there's a value there. So, you know, this is not recognized in Islam other than the fact that there's two workarounds for this. The first workaround is that I do it as a charity. I give you money and it's a charity. So I cannot ask any favors from you. You cannot, I cannot ask you to give me more. Um, but... I, you can, of course, give me a gift if you want and say thank you, whatever, at the end of paying me back. But it's it's totally up to you and, and there's no... So again, that creates some problems, of course, because if I cannot charge you anything extra for not paying me back, then, you know, that creates a disadvantage to a lender, right? Like, for example, what if you don't pay me back on time? 
what happens what yeah. do you do like so in islam according to this rule late fees on books at the library are haram because it's a form of riba you borrowed a book you didn't give it back on time and you were charged a fee that's completely haram and as a muslim <laughs> i used to worry about these things i used to worry that oh, oh my god if i get charged a late fee this is a form of riba it's not just interest interest is just one form of it but also late fees, even if they're not interest-based, it's just a fee. It could also be riba because, again, it's an increase in the value. I'm not just giving the book right. back. I'm giving the book back plus yeah. money. So so now you have this thing where there's Islamic finance and they have some problems now because what do they do? They can't charge a late fee. How can you have a mortgage without a late fee? So do you want to jump into the mortgages yet or do you have any questions first about what I you said? Know, so I think, I think it stemmed from a good place. I think it stemmed from uh, the imbalance of power between the lender and the borrower because it's, I think it stemmed from uh, preventing financial slavery, right? Yes. I think yeah. that's the rationale behind, uh, behind banning riba in Islam. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. And so... The only problem is if you if you would take the problem I have in general with Islamic rulings in general, Islamic uh, jurisprudence, is that a lot of these things just don't make sense in today's world. They may have made sense 1400 years ago, but you cannot take something from back then and just copy paste it in today's world. You You cannot just import it without significant changes. So... We live in a world now where house prices are very expensive. And for most people, more than half of the income in most of the world would go towards this. I don't know. In Muhammad's time, they used to live in, you know, like houses made of clay or whatever, mud. And, you know, they would. it wasn't the same situation. It was totally different. Now we're talking about million dollar houses. People, they cannot afford it if they don't have a mortgage. And let's let's be honest. The mortgage system is a very win-win situation for both the buyer and the lender. The lender is able to lend you money at ridiculously cheap prices. I mean, how can anyone argue that the, um, the lender is being taken advantage or the buyer is being taken advantage? Because first of all, the lender is giving you an, an, like 2%, 3% interest. I mean, nowadays, sure, back then it was like 10, 15%. The houses were also cheaper. But at the moment, well, let's say like my mortgage is like 2.5, 3%, something like that. That means on every... Every hundred thousand dollars, I'm only paying three thousand dollars in interest. It's very little. Now, of course, over the over the lifetime of the loan, it does add up to quite a bit. But the point is, I'm able to own my own property. I'm able to live in it, and there's always the the down payment which you give to the bank. So if at, at any point I default, they could just sell the house. So this is one thing that Islamic finance companies do as well. They will put a condition that if you don't pay, they'll immediately sell the house. Like there, there's some crazy things like that. Some of them will say, well, we will charge you a late fee, but we'll give it to charity. So they have all sorts of workarounds because clearly this is a limitation, right? So, um, yeah. so, so again, the actual traditional finance, what I, what we call traditional finance, the banking system, it has problems. No one's denying that, but there's also lots of good things about it. Me personally, I'm able to build my wealth by buying a home by by using the system the bank is benefiting as well even though they're only making two or three percent and frankly even less than that because they have to also pay someone for borrowing the money from them still it's very safe for them because they can sell at any point 
you know, the, the money that I gave as a down payment, if, the, if even if I missed a payment, they could easily do that. And of course, the interest rate that you pay is based on the risk factors, right? My credit score and whatever. So I'm paying 3%. Some people might be paying 5% because they don't have a good credit. They don't have a history of paying on time and stuff like that, right? So it depends on person to person, but the system works well if you ask me. Yeah. Okay, so well, let's get into that then. Let's get into how... It, how Islamic finance is being uh, operated today, uh, practically. What what are Islamic banks doing? So you had an experience trying to get a mortgage, and this is in Toronto, right? Yes, yes. Okay. So yeah. uh, the biggest company at the time, back in um, I think like late two thousands, um, was known as Isna Housing. Isna is Islamic Society of North America. They have big million dollar mosques and it's a big company and they they had a financing um arm they split off into an independent company called Ansar housing in the u.s there's a big one called guidance financial as well there's many different companies now there's there's two sort of sets of companies okay there's two types of companies there's one company that does that takes an actual bank mortgage now this is the hilarious part they take an actual bank mortgage and they repackage it in a halal way and they present it to the so basically it's it's so ridiculous. It's it's really like I don't see how anyone can say this is halal because what you're doing is, from what I understand, you create a corporation or you create some sort of entity, some trust. The trust takes a bank mortgage and then the trust makes a halal agreement with you. The trust doesn't exist. It's like an imaginary creation, right? An entity. But like what you've done is you've basically taken a halal thing and you wrapped it up in halal packaging and, you, and you're presenting it to the customer. But many customers, they're willing to kind of like, you know, look away and accept this. And, all, and what they do is they're taking the same interest rate that the bank is charging and they just tack on a little bit more to it and then they call it rent. But basically it's a sort of, it's called Ijara loans. It's a sort of declining balance partnership agreement, they call it or whatever. But instead of paying interest you're paying rent now that's type one there's a couple of different types type two the one i wanted to do was actually what i think is actually halal but it's also problematic but for different reasons let me tell you so unsell housing was a company that again i said they 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 offer you uh halal financing the way they do this is they they run it as an investment company Anyone can buy shares with Unsell Housing and they pay you some ridiculous, like at the time it was like 6 or 7% or something. It's like a lot of money. Now you got to wonder if they're paying 7%, like how much are they charging the customer? Like just imagine, okay? Compared to a traditional bank, it's ridiculous what they're charging. And of course they can only offer you a small amount. So this doesn't even apply to most people. You can only borrow, I think 200,000 or something like that. Now again, Things have changed a lot in the last like six, seven years. I don't know if the limits have increased and stuff like that. But because they don't have financing from a bank, it's just from investors, they have to pay them something that would make it lucrative. And then there is there was another company as well called, I think it was called United Muslims Financial. Wait, sorry. You said you said they're giving interest, like six percent, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. said. Yeah. What so, do you mean by they're so giving? So they don't call it interest, it, it, they call it dividends. Right, so you're so you're it's like a it's like interest on your savings account <laughs> with them. Sort of. So what they say is it's not guaranteed. If it was guaranteed, it would be haram. They say it depends on the profit right. we get. It's a share of the profit. But it, for all intents and purposes, you could say it's like interest. Yeah, you you give now again. Why is that halal? I, I think that's what you're gonna ask me. How's this halal, right? 
Well, interest on savings accounts, first of all, is anyway not really guaranteed. If anyone's had experience with a bank that's gone bust, it's not guaranteed. Uh, and I'm talking from firsthand experience. <laughs> but, but I guess I guess profit sharing. Yeah, that that's halal, mm -hmm, isn't mm -hmm. it? If it indeed is profit yes, sharing. Yes, th that's what they that's what they say. They say it's profit sharing and, and so it's completely halal. Um, it's not guaranteed and they're not allowed to guarantee it because it would become riba then. Because if they guaranteed it, it'd be yeah. riba. So I don't totally yeah. understand how the math works and how they make it work because it's it's very expensive. But what I do know is there's a lot of it's run like a Daisy Uncles Club, and I'm not saying all the all the companies are like this, yeah. but like there's no transparency. When you when you want to find out how much it is, they don't tell you anything. So they say, okay, we'll tell you once you actually apply for the house. And you cannot see the agreement in advance Ooh. or anything. So like you have to give them, actually, you have to fill out a form saying, this is the house I want to buy. This is how much down I'm going to give you, which has to be, I think, 100, like 20% minimum. And okay. this is how, and and once you give them that form saying this house on 10 agree Crescent, that's this much price. And this is my MLS listing. MLS means the real estate listing. Then you send it to them in the mail. Now, again, it might have changed. They'll send it back to you telling you what the rent is going to be. So it's very mysterious how they come up with the rent. I've heard that they give favors to certain people. Some people pay less. Some people pay more. Um, there's no guarantee whether you'll get it. It's, it's such a it's such a there's mess. There's not much transparency. It's such a mess. And and actually, I think I... Let me see if I have it no, documented here. I actually did... Do I have it? So how, how are they regulated? That's a good question. It's done as a private company, so I don't think there's any real regulation on it. Um, I'm trying to see. Okay, let me see. So okay, so basically, I don't I don't have it handy right now. But but the point is, as you can see, this is very similar to a traditional bank, in the sense that you. So how it's different is is there's a few small subtle things. I'm not seeing your screen. If uh, oh, that's fine. Sure. Don't worry about it. There's nothing. It's just I'm just looking okay, at my okay. notes here. Yeah. Um, how it's different is very subtle. The difference is that with an Islamic mortgage, what they're claiming is that they're both owners of the house. You're an owner and they're an owner. With a bank mortgage, you're the owner. The bank has a lien on the house. So if you don't pay, they can sell it. But technically, you're the owner. And I don't not just technically, you are the owner. Meaning if the price goes up, you benefit from the price increase. You are the owner. You insure yeah. it. You get fire protection. Everything that happens is up to you. You're the king of the castle. You want to put solar panels on your house like I wanted to? I do that. I want to do the basement. You can do that. It's up to you. It's your house. Okay? Of course, you can't burn it down. But like other than that, it's your house, right? Now, with the Islamic mortgage, what they do is they technically are co-owners with you, but you, all the risk goes to you. So, for example, and all the benefit goes to them. So, in the Ansar Housing Cooperative Agreement, if the house price goes up and you borrowed more than 50% of the house price, meaning you, you borrowed, let's say, 80% or 70%, they when you sell the house, you will give 10% of the increase to them. They take some of the increase in your house price. Because the owners, like you, you're both owners. It's a partnership, right? But check this out. You, as the the one of the owners, you're the buyer. The, you are legally obligated going to the contract to pay for all the insurance, to take all of the risk if the price goes down. Basically, it's a very one-sided agreement. So on in 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 theory, it's halal, but it's a very shitty agreement. It's like you've taken all the risk and you lose like a bunch of benefits, right? All so to who, make who wins in this case? The bank, the Islamic the, the, bank. The Islamic bank makes a killing, and Muslims that have no choice because the 
you know, sinful or they fear God and they, they don't want to go to hell. And I actually have a family member that that did this. He bought a house with a halal mortgage because he didn't want to be involved with riba. Now, I also have another friend that in Toronto, lived in core Toronto, hardworking guy, young man, he works in IT and he was making loads of money. But even he with like six figure salary could not afford the, the halal mortgage. So what he did is he just saved up, saved up, saved up for many years. By the time he was finally able to oh, buy a house, the price went up. The yeah. price went up so much that now he had to buy in like barely, or not even barely, even further. I mean, you may, might not know Toronto, but, but like way out of town, like way, yeah. like like 150 kilometers away from Toronto. And like his kids grew up in Toronto. His, he loves Toronto. They love Toronto, but they had to end up buying in like no man town, right? Bowmanville, I think mm -hmm. it was. So that's sad to me because what you've done, what this ideology has done is it has made you give up really real benefits for an imaginary heaven. Now, in my case, and I believe it's imaginary. They believe it's real. But again, like when you look at the, I, I would argue with anyone, like you were saying, where is the harm? Who is being harmed by a bank mortgage? Like, honestly, who is losing here? Am I losing as a buyer? I have a house for my kids. If I die, my life insurance, which is also haram, would pay it off so the kids would get the house. If I'm renting, I'd have nothing. The little bit of cash yeah. that I would have saved wouldn't even be close to the amount of increase of the house price. And of course, there's, there's the fact that when you rent, you can be kicked out. Your landlord can say, you know, I want to sell the house or I want to I want to move in or my sister's coming from India or Pakistan or whatever. And you have to leave. It's it's a lot of instability for the family. Yeah. You know? So that's almost like financial slavery too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah. the interesting thing is there is a scholar um, that has been criticized, but there was one scholar that actually made a fatwa that says that buying a house on mortgage is halal. Actually, there's two scholars at least. Um, see if I can, uh, okay, so one of them is Shabir Ali. And the other one is, I forgot his name now, but anyways, it'll come to me. So so basically, there's, there's one Egyptian scholar that said it's halal. And he said it's only halal if it's not a business, meaning you're not buying it to rent it out. You're buying it for yourself. And it's just for you. And you, you know, and you put a bunch of conditions. It's your first house, blah, 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 blah. And Shabir Ali, Shabir Ali is a, is a very popular guy. I really like him. Uh, but he argues very much more from the Quran perspective, and he sort of discredits a lot of the hadith. So he says, mm -hmm. well, the Quran says, whoever consumes riba is cursed, right? So we we had the verse, the verse from the Quran, which I'll show you. And just, just to be fair, you know, we can go through all the different opinions. You can see in this argument, in this, in this, uh, like, um, this verse, this ayah, it says those that consume interest, meaning mm -hmm. the bank. Not exactly. Buyer, right. So he's mm -hmm. taking a very literal approach here and he's saying, well, yeah, if you're buying, you're not paying, you're just paying interest. You're not, you're not earning interest. The problem with this is that there's another hadith that says the prophet cursed the lady who practiced tattoos and the one who gets tattooed, the one who takes riba and the one who gives it and he prohibits and blah, 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 some other stuff. And there's another, there's another hadith that talks about riba. You can even just go to sunnah.com and you can search riba. You'll find a bunch of them, right? That, that's interesting by the way i didn't know tattoos are haram yeah tattoos considered yeah, changing the creation, yeah. creation of allah yeah so so um about the riba yeah there's another one that says the one that witnesses the riba even just witnessing it 
right? You are also equally cursed, which creates another problem for Muslims, which is you can't work at a bank. If you yeah. are even coding the software that, that calculates interest, you are actually helping them in sin and you will be guilty for that. Again, all of this depends on how fundamentalist you want to be. I was pretty hardcore. And a lot of my friends were in, in the same circle were pretty hardcore. So for us, this was a problem. Many, many, many Muslims, I'd say probably 70% or more, would just get a mortgage and not think about it twice. They might not even know it's haram. They might have never even heard this. Or if they did, they'd be like, yeah, whatever. Uh, a good example would be my mom. <laughs> so my mom got a mortgage. And when I told her, I saw yeah. so my mom, you know, she's not very really religious. She never was. I became super religious on my own. And then when I told her, mom, this is haram. We should get a halal mortgage. She just laughed at me. She's like, son, just be quiet. <laughs> I'm not yeah. changing my mortgage or anything, you know? So thankfully she didn't listen to me because at the, you know, now I'm like kind of cringing that I was trying to convince her to sell the house and just rent and, ah, oh, it's just terrible. Yeah. But yeah, at the time I believe this was like punishable in hell and whatever. Right. So, so this was before you left your faith. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this was as a, as yeah. a, I mean, now I'd be like, yeah, get a, get a second mortgage if you want, whatever, right? if you can afford it, you know, buy yeah. an investment property. Um, the people that use interest well can build wealth, right? The people, because just let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what's the difference between, because the Quran is indicating here a difference. It's saying that there's a difference between trade and riba, even though, you know, they sound similar, right? So let's, yeah. let's talk about that difference. The difference is, according to Islam, the risk is different. This is how I was taught. Meaning, when you when you give a loan, if I give you a loan and you don't pay me back, I just lose it. Whereas if you're doing a business transaction with partners, you take some risk, I take some risk. Now, even, even when I'm saying this, I'm like rolling my eyes because let's be real. It's not like, like when I when I'm lending you money, I'm taking a risk, but it's not that simple. I can always make a contingency. I can have an asset as a property. But like I can, you can. That's what a mortgage is. A mortgage is you're mortgaging an asset. So there's an asset to defend. Like if you don't pay, there's it, collateral. There's collateral. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Collateral. So it seems over simplistic to just ban loans completely, interest-based loans, because in many cases, the, and and by the way, when I go to the bank and I'm like, I want to do a business deal. I want to start a business. They'll want to see my business plan. They'll want to see a bunch of stuff. They're going to do their due diligence too because even, even then, they may not want to be partners. They might not want to do venture capitalism with me. They may not. Yes, there's angel investors and venture capitalists and they'll take 5% of your business total for the next five years or whatever in exchange for like $30,000 or whatever. That, that transaction is completely halal. The interest one is not. But from my perspective, I can't really see why one should be forbidden and not the other. They're both both of them have different levels of risk. And in some cases, the, the loan is safer. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, like I again, it's gonna be hard for me to defend this because from my perspective, this is some this was a man-made religion. The man that created the religion was doing what he thought made sense at the time. And the real the real crisis or the real um sad part is that Muslims today are suffering because of these things that Unfortunately, to me, they don't make sense. And if you look at the math, and I even asked, you know, let me give you one more funny example. If you go to buy a, a car and you want to finance the car, and let's say it's 5% interest, right? I actually did this once. I went to the bank 
and I told them like not the bank, the sorry, the car company, the the auto company, and I and I said like I'm not allowed to pay interest. Could you just increase the price of the car? <laughs> so the funny thing is, again, what's the difference? And I in my Islamic finance class as a Muslim, I asked the sheikh because my logical part of my mind was like trying to understand what's the difference. What's the difference between them increasing the price? So basically, what halal finance companies will do is they will give you a cash discount meaning mm. the interest is baked into the price that's perfectly halal so it comes but, to the same thing they're kind of like uh, branding it as islamic yeah in and, a way, and right? by the way the, there is um even um a housing company uh what do you call it like a company that builds houses construction housing construction company in a developer developer in in toronto i forgot the name and, and they they offer zero percent interest in particular because tons of muslims buy this they actually give you a zero percent like three-year mortgage from the bill from the developer and, um, mm. and they're like a, they're not like a high-end develop, developer they're like mid to low end and I know so yeah. many Muslims that bought houses with them because of this, only because of this reason. Yeah, so now, okay, so now it's clicking to me because uh, here in Dubai, there are a lot of developers who do the same thing. But interestingly, they don't, they don't call it an Islamic mortgage. They just say it's like a, a free financing, right? So <laughs> like a house would be, let's say a house is like a million dirhams. It's a million dirhams with a five-year payment plan. So they just call it a payment plan um, from the developer itself. And it's it's clicking to me now that it's so that Muslims can um, can feel halal when, when they opt for that because officially there is no interest, right? There's a, there's a payment scheme. Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a three to five-year payment scheme. And... And that's like set in stone from the developer and there is no interest. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I, wonder, so like, yeah, I, I guess they, that's how... Yeah. I wonder how they deal with like delays though. Like if you don't pay, what would they do? Would they sell the house? I mean, that would make it haram if they gave you a late fee. So even though there's no interest. Mm. And again, I don't know how like officially 100% halal Dubai is anyways, because I know a lot of things, as long as on the surface, it looks halal, I think Muslims would be okay with it. Even if there was a late fee, I mean, it's not like they're getting the Islamic Shura Council to like verify it's halal. Like you said, people just take for granted then. It's like, yeah, it's 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 no interest, so that's interest free or whatever, right? Yeah. It's a sales tactic. But again, I asked my professor. Let me tell you what he said. You're gonna laugh. I asked him. I said, "What's the difference between baking the interest in the price and and saying the price is less, but there's an interest fee?" What's the difference? I'm like, I don't get it. What's the difference? It's the same thing. Either you pay the interest mm. up front or you pay at the end. And the and oh by the way, the the um the name of the organization is Mercy Mission. So that's the name uh Dr. Tofiq Chaudhry is the one that runs Al Kalta Institute is a is the, the the Islamic classes and Mercy Mission is the charity they do. So they they do two things. So, anyways, his name just mm -hmm. popped in my mind. So I asked him, I said, doctor, uh, I said, Sheikh, what's, what's the difference? He's like, Abdullah, your name, you're Abdullah, right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, listen, go to, go have a latte, go to Tim Hortons, have a latte. That was literally his answer, meaning just chill. It'll come okay. to you. Like that was his, his answer was no answer. It was like, 
basically the most common response you get to this question when you when you ask someone like why would you have to trade for cash and then you know your dates for cash or gold for cash and then cash back to gold why would you have to do this on a down thing and the biggest answer you'll get the most common answer is well what's the difference between dating and marriage dating is haram marriage is halal in both cases you a man and a woman are sleeping together one of them is cursed or forbidden and the other one is totally halal and legitimate what's the difference the difference is there's two witnesses and that makes it halal well, how does that make it what's the, well because god said this one's halal at the end of the day it's an appeal to authority and yeah. that is what islamic finance is all about at the end of the day it's not about making sense it's not about what's beneficial it's about this is what the quran and sunnah says so you take it you just take it you have no choice it's, yeah. it is what it is you have to accept it you have no choice in the matter and there is there is modern islamic finance i gave you some examples like the loans there's even halal bonds there's halal insurance they call it takaful or something that, also, that sounds like an oxymoron, by the way, halal bonds. <laughs> this, right. They call it sukuk, sukuk. So there's all sorts right. of modern Islamic finance instruments. And they, again, some of them are a joke, like the Tijara loan is a joke. It's, it's literally a haram contract packaged as halal. But some of them are actually different. And some of them, the risk is is different, meaning that, I mean, like, you know, all the risk is not on you. There's some, I, I, I guess there are some, subs, like you'll find two types of people when it comes to Islamic finance. Some people will just say, oh, it's all a scam. And yeah, I call the video, it's a scam because that's how, you know, you get views and people to get interest in it. But like, no, the, but it, it is true because it, Muslims are effectively being taxed. Yeah, it is kind of a tax, but the, it, there are actual differences in it too, in the sense, like real differences, in the sense that in Islam, you cannot sell a loan. So, if you do go by these rigid rules, for example, let's say I buy a house, right? Like a new house, not, not built. The developer says, right now we're in 2022, the developer says it'll be done in 2025. You put down your deposit. Now, the builder owes me a house. I have a debt of a house. In Islamic finance, you cannot flip that debt to someone else. You can't sell it because it's a debt. You cannot sell a debt, right? So this regulation is much more conservative and if you know the modern finance system did this there wouldn't have been this massive crash in 2008 however it also means like you know fine the modern financial system wouldn't exist as it does today because yes there were some excesses that, that caused the big huge meltdown of 2008 mainly it was toxic loans or what do they call it um not toxic loans it's another word for toxic like um junk 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 loans basically right like very high risk mortgages that were given to people that didn't deserve it people that didn't have any income or had like a shady income they gave them a mortgage anyways and of course that's some, and then they nino sold loans. that huh yeah there were many names for like nino loans like no income no no job yeah yeah so they so this this wouldn't be allowed in islam under islam because you'd have to put a very high down payment 20 percent and no so income no assets sorry sorry <laughs> no income no assets no income, sorry. No asset. yeah N so, nino loans yeah so this is basically yeah. um like a real difference. There are legitimate differences in Islamic finance, but the problem is like you, at the end of the day, there is also scams, which are basically the haram thing that's repackaged as halal. That's like 100% scam. The other one is different. Maybe it wouldn't be fair to call it a scam, but it is, it's unnecessary. 
In a sense, it's a scam yeah. from the perspective of an atheist. Yes, it's a scam because yeah. you're paying an extra extra amount for what? It doesn't have to be extra, but then how would you how would you get the the loan so cheap? Because the the main reason why it's cheap is because the finance the the banking system as a whole has the infrastructure to afford that. Like you you give your money to the bank and they lend it out. I don't even know under Islamic finance whether that would even be allowed. I don't think it would be allowed. Like if I give you money, you're the bank. You can't just go lend it out, right? But because of that very reason that you you make a deal with the bank that they can lend out your money is why you can have cheap loans in the first place. Otherwise, you end up with 6%, 7% or whatever, some ridiculous interest rate um, from the Islamic ones because nobody's going to deposit the money with the with the with with this housing cooperative for like half a percent or 1%. They're not going to do that. They want a profit, right? So in order to make it lucrative, they it becomes very expensive. And, you know, unfortunately, there's so much... It's 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 to me it's a tragedy, and and I do hope that you know part of my goal in what I do is to put a little bit of doubt in Muslims' minds. To be frank, to make them doubt Islam, so that at least maybe they'll get a little bit more out of life. And one of my friends, one of my good friends, I still have a few Muslim friends, and he told me because of me, we talked for many years. He said because of you, I bought a house, and he's Muslim still. But I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, I was shocked because he was like totally against it before that. Right? I said, why? And he's like, you know, because my daughter, I had a daughter and, you know, we need a house for her. And, you know, I have a little bit of doubt now about Islam. You know, some of the things. What if I'm wrong? I'm going to be giving up this like, like so many. I'm, it's such a huge sacrifice. It's such a huge sacrifice to not be able to buy a house just because of, you know, maybe this is true. Right. So that's my goal. My goal is to make people a little bit more skeptical, just a little bit so that maybe they won't go and you know give up something that they don't don't need to give up maybe they won't give up their banking job maybe they will buy a house for their family and you know benefit from that you know maybe they'll they'll not go and join some extremist organization not saying that that's what most muslims do but like i've even had one guy from like syria area contact me on facebook tell me that because of me and abdullah gondal he watched the content and he has doubts about this thing that he was part of, which was he was part of a terrorist organization and now he's not Muslim anymore. He doesn't know what to do. So that's another thing. Like we're trying to make the world a better place, which is even though these things come from a good place, we have to be honest that they don't make sense. They don't make sense in today's world and we would be much better off without it. And that's what I believe about most religion in general. I just believe that we don't need it anymore. Maybe there was a need for it at some point in time back then, but now we have much better laws and regulations and morality is better now. I mean, that's a long topic in itself, but I think we can do better without it, you know? You know, it is really hard for Muslims to stay true to their faith and and live in a fiat financial system because even if even if they even if you get a loan from the bank at a zero percent interest rate, let's say the bank is actually willing to do that, that would still be haram. Because the very act of issuing money, because how do banks give loans? They just, they issue it out of nowhere, right? And and that's making money out of money. Like that's in itself riba, just the, just the issuing of the loan. And this is what uh, Harris Irfan was, uh, was saying to me. So it, the, the transaction, the, the loan, before you even talk about a 0% interest rate, it's already begun with riba. So, and so, so that might be technically yeah. true. But based on the way that the scholars interpret it, they don't look at that part of it. Um, what they do is, like, you know how I said that 
again, all of this is man-made at the end of the day. It's interpretation and 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 basically analysis of of humans trying to make sense of some books that's supposedly from God. So most Muslims are okay with one type of okay. So again, there's so much difference of opinion in the community. Obviously, most people agree that banks are haram and you should not take a mortgage from the bank. But most people will also say it's okay to use a bank because what they do with the money is not your problem if they lend it out or whatever. If you get interest from the bank, some most religious Muslims will say you can't take it or some will say give it to charity. Then you have the halal financing, which is, is like the scammy one I told you about. A lot of Muslims have problems with it. Not a lot of Muslims, but in in my hardcore group, they didn't like it. Then you have the proper Islamic finance one, which more Muslims are with. And then you have even another group of people. I met one guy like this in my same hardcore group that even he said this halal financing is not halal. Just like you were just saying. He said even this like this partnership agreement, it's riba because blah, blah, blah. Now, the reason why he said it was riba is because you told the bank to go and buy the house for you. So according to him, it's only halal if the bank has a bunch of houses already and you go to them and say, I want it. Otherwise, they're still sort of, you know, helping you to do sin in a weird roundabout way. That's how he saw it. And some yeah. scholars actually think like that. I mean, it depends on your level of ex- extremism <laughs> or religiosity, yeah. how, how tough you want to be. I don't, I don't typically hear scholars, Muslim scholars, or even Muslims in general go that far to say that all money is haram because it's not based on a gold standard or that you can't use money from the bank. Most people will say the transact, and there's a hadith like this, or a, a, an axiom, axiom of Islamic finance that says when the money changes hands, it changes ruling. Meaning yeah. they may have created it out of thin air, but now they gave it to you. Now it's how you, what you do with it is what matters. Which means in some cases, even if they got it from haram means, as long as you're not sort of knowing about it, it could be okay. Which creates another sort of funny situation where sometimes, you know, there's someone that can offer you money, wink, wink, and you know it's haram, but you can still take it and use it as long as you're not totally 100% know it's haram. Do you know what I mean? So, for example, I know one Muslim guy, again, so many workarounds. His dad gave him a, a like a loan, interest-free loan, wink, wink, which he he kind of knows is from the bank. He knows he bought it. He took a line of credit, whatever, money, a bunch of money, and gave it to him. But like, it's not his problem, right? It's His dad did it. The other thing that some of them do is like, the, again, the funny thing is I have a bunch of friends my generation, but their parents are not religious, but they're religious. It's like this revival mm-hmm. of Islam or something, right? And mm-hmm. um, so the parents will will buy the house and rent it to the kids. <laughs> okay. Haram mortgage. But they rent it to the kids and eventually once it's paid off, they'll just gift it to them or something, right? So they, they're yeah. still like not committing sin. The parent is, but the, the parent doesn't care. So it's like whatever. Okay, so let's say we have Muslims who understand uh, this game and they they're they're too they're smart enough to to not fall for it i mean they don't let's say we have muslims who aren't are not gonna feel better about themselves by basically lying to themselves okay they still want to stay true to their faith Mm -hmm. and not with this whole rebranding thing like they genuinely uh, want to stay true to their faith Mm -hmm. i'm talking about like orthodox muslims Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. Uh, what should they do so there's a couple of workarounds which muslims i know muslims did one of them is move to Dubai <laughs> and work cash job and not cash job, but and save cash like crazy because you don't pay any tax, right? So I know some the, the problem with these workarounds is the 
they're very elitist. Most people can never do these things. Like, let's be yeah. real. No, most people can't just go to Dubai or whatever in the Middle East and just make like a bu- bu- bucket load of money and come back. The other workaround is you basically do what my IT friend did. He worked contract jobs making over a hundred dollars an hour, and he saved, 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 saved. Again, how many people have an option like that? Even if you want, well, the thing is, if you save, no, yeah. I, I didn't mean to interrupt yeah. you, but if yeah. even if you save, you're saving in fiat money, <laughs> which, as you said earlier, is constantly getting devalued, because in a, the reason these these rules were made in Islam, just to play devil's advocate, uh, is that at that point in time we were operating in a sound money system gold was money right that's why in a lot of these scriptures that you showed me um we we saw gold written over there uh, in the verses and so in a sound money system yeah we would naturally move toward an equity-based system than a debt-based system um and so you if you save in fiat you're just subsidizing the rest of the world. You're subsidizing the people who are borrowing money because you're saving for them. You're earning nothing on your savings and the banks are just loaning out your savings for uh, for money. And then those who borrow basically benefit because when you borrow money, you're increasing the supply of money in the economy. So then the people who save have a smaller portion of the pie. Um, and that's what we've seen is happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, prices of everything go up in in dollar terms mm-hmm. and so even if you save um yeah that's completely halal but you're you're a loser you're never gonna you're never gonna catch up that's that's a real problem and there's no real workaround or solution for that um other than i heard some muslims say what they do again i don't know how this would kind of like the same idea of, of islamic financing companies but like done informally Again, I can't imagine how you how you'd pull this off in real life. But you have like five people, you all group your money together, you all put in like let's say a hundred thousand or something, and then you pick a coin, you flip a coin, and one of you guys gets to buy a house, and then he has to pay everyone back. And then again, I can't. I heard people do this in Pakistan. I don't know how it's feasible. There's so much trust needed because if one guy buys a house and he's like, "See you later, suckers," I mean that's just the end of it. It's done, right? I can't. I don't know. I don't see how. There's not a lot of good options. It's just that, you know, I feel like the modern world is far more complicated than, you know, these religions ever, these religious founders ever expected it to be. And I don't, I don't even know if they even knew that this thing would still be followed like 1,000 years later. I don't even know that because there are many indications in the Islamic texts that Muhammad thought the Day of Judgment was coming any day now. He's always talking about the Day of Judgment, Day of Judgment. Me and the hour are like this, meaning the two fingers next to each other. I'm the final sign of the Day of Judgment, the final major sign. So the, the coming of the last prophet is a sign that the hour is near. So like, there's even another hadith that says that by the time this young man grows old, the Day of Judgment will come. So that's the most like blatant, you could say, mistake or you know, if the hadith is true, because it says within the lifetime of that child, the Day of Judgment will come. And of course, it hasn't come now for a thousand years. So you know, who knows if these things were even intended to last, you know what I mean? The problem is the more specific the rulings are, the less likely it'll stand the test of time. It, you have to be more general. Like, if you wanted a religion to last for 5,000 years, you'd want teachings like, be good to others, don't harm others, you know, take, you know, like the golden rule, do unto others that you'd want done. You'd need something generic like that, because the specifics are going to change, like, drastically, right? 
Yeah, well, in this case, money has changed, and that's why it's <laughs> it's harder to to ban to ban interest. And right? you know, frankly uh, speaking, even at the time of Muhammad, I think we can argue that some of these things don't make sense. Like, why would you ban trading a large amount of dates for a small amount of dates? What is what is the problem with that? Like, what is what is the harm of that? I can't I can't imagine that that is actually hurting anyone like why would you have to go to cash first why would you have to do two separate transactions i mean who knows what was going in the, in the mind of muhammad i have no idea why he would think that's a bad thing like that's not there's no injustice if you're giving me crappy quality dates in bulk i want to feed my my animal my pig oh sorry pigs are i want to feed my horse and you want it for your mom like good quality dates so let's trade i have a deal buddy like that's what Bud yeah. is founded on. Bud is founded on, I mean, before money existed, that's how all transactions were done, right? Why do you need to trade for gold? It doesn't make sense to me. And by the way, like I can almost think of no reason why you'd want to trade an equal amount of dates for an equal amount of dates, unless there's like different flavors of dates or something. Like when would it ever be equal? You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, I got like chocolate ones and you got like strawberry ones or something. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's a metaphor for something. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but, okay, but I think there is one thing that Muslims can do. Oh, yeah? What is that? Bitcoin. Oh, so here's the interesting thing about Bitcoin. What are your thoughts Bitcoin. on that? Here's an interesting thing about Bitcoin. So I've been making one point clear. If I have been making one point clear throughout this entire thing, is that Islam is very much a human construct. Even if you believe that the, the Quran is truly from God, you have to be able to interpret it and apply it. And that's always going to be a human effort. Mm -hmm. There's a very famous Islamic finance sheikh called Dr. Manzer Kaf. And Dr. Kaf is someone that is very reasonable. He's not one of those hardcore Salafi types, Wahhabi types. He says, for example, leasing a car is halal. A lease, even though if there's interest in it, because you're, rent, you're kind of like renting the car, right? So he's mm -hmm. like, it's halal. He's very reasonable like that. I emailed him to ask him about Bitcoin because I'm a big fan of Bitcoin. I've been a big, big okay. fan of Bitcoin for a long time. This was back in like 10 years ago. And he's like, he said, I think it's halal because I forget what he said. He said something like that, right? It's halal. I'm like, yes, I'm going to buy some. Then years later, my friend emailed him back and he said, no, actually, I changed my mind that I said it was halal because it hasn't been established. Or, sorry, it hasn't been recognized as a currency by any government. That was his reasoning. And now here's the funny thing. Tell me something. Why would a man-made government, and he's not even talking about Islamic government, he's saying any government. Why would it matter if a government recognizes it as a currency for it to be halal? Wouldn't halal depend on what Allah said? Why exactly. does it matter? And yeah. the reason why is because a lot of Islamic finance, uh, sorry, Islamic jurisprudence, not a lot of it, some of it is based on urf. Urf means tradition. Meaning, scholars will say, for example, when you, when you marry someone, when you marry a woman, you have to give her a bridal gift, a dowry. The amount you give is based on local custom. So in some countries, it could be like $50,000. In some countries, it could be like $500. It could, you know what I mean? So it depends on the customs. And, and so there's, there's some weird rulings like that where, you know, there's a hadith that says you should, not, you should not imitate women. What does that mean, not imitate women? A man should not imitate a woman. Can I wear an earring? And I asked a scholar this, Dr. Yasakari, asked him, I asked him about this in the class, and he said it depends on the culture. In some cultures, men wear rings, it's fine. In this culture, if it's considered feminine, you don't do it. 
in Islamic culture, in some countries, wearing a necklace is considered fem feminine, so it's forbidden. Again, it's very strange that it depends on the local culture, but this is what Islamic scholars say. So he said it's haram because no government accepted it. I wanted to tell him, well, you know, Venezuela accepted it as a currency. Now it's halal? <laughs> like, like Venezuela is... is, is uh, El Salvador. El Salvador has, has said it's halal, uh, not halal, <laughs> has declared it a, like a legal currency, right? So yeah, maybe yeah. it's halal now. I don't know. Um, I mean, to be honest, it, there's no precedent for like a virtual currency. Why, why do you think it's halal or why do you think it's good for Muslims? What's your perspective on that? Because I think it's the most Islamic form of money. It, but it's it takes all the boxes. Thin, thin it doesn't exist. There's no, there's no physical... You can't trade but, it. But there's no... Okay, so there's nowhere uh, in the Quran that says it needs to be physical. It needs to be asset-backed. In this case, it is backed and it's backed by software. Um, but what makes it halal is that um, well, so gold and silver were used as money. I mean, the whole Islamic golden age was, uh, I, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I could be wrong, but it was largely because there was a sound financial, uh, there was a sound money being used. The reason gold and silver are sound money is that you can't, um, you can't just create it out of thin air. There's proof of work. Um, it's not easy to mine silver and it's even harder to mine gold. And that's why every single year reliably are uh, the increase in supply of silver is around 5%. So so whatever our stockpile is right now of silver, every year we make about 5% of that. With gold, it's between 1% and 2%. Uh, so they're very hard to produce, and that's what makes them good money. And that's when it makes sense to save, because when you're saving gold, um, your, your, your gold is not getting devalued. It's getting devalued by only 1% to 2% every single year. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so it takes that box, sound, sound financial, uh, sound money, uh, because there is also this term, uh, zakat, right? Uh, now, the, correct me if I'm wrong, but the scriptures for zakat are based on this sound money. They're based on gold and silver. Uh, the other thing is that there's not going to be any, um, there's not going to be any riba with Bitcoin. You're not going to lend your Bitcoin. There's no way you're going to do that because you're, it's not going to be insured because you can't create Bitcoin out of thin air. There's only gonna, ever going to be 21 million. Mm -hmm. The supply is fixed actually, with fiat money. Yeah, I would, I would argue that a lot of people actually are lending Bitcoin nowadays. <laughs> and here's another interesting okay. question. What about staking? Because staking creates, it's kind of like interest, right? You deposit, and this is actually a really interesting question. Is staking money, halal, uh, Bitcoin, not, you can't stake Bitcoin, but you can stake some of the other ones, right? Okay, so sure, we might come up with like sophisticated ways of lending, but but largely you wouldn't lend your Bitcoin because you're not going to take such a high risk because if, if you lend, let's say, 100 Bitcoin, there's a chance that the business is not is going to make a big loss, right? And you're not going to even get your 100 back. But if you do get your interest, um, you're only getting like, what, 4 or 5%. So you wouldn't settle for a small upside and take the risk off like all of your money. You wouldn't. You know, you're not going to make a deal where you can bear all of the downside, but only mm -hmm. a little bit of the upside. Mm -hmm. So that's where we would naturally go into um, a, an equity-based system rather than a debt-based system. Okay. And so that's why a lot of these um, Islamic finance experts, like uh, there's Harris Irfan, there's Safdar mm -hmm. Alam, there's Sefuddin Amus. Uh, that's why I guess they are big proponents of Bitcoin and they say that it's the most halal form of money. It's the most uh, um, Islamic form of money. There are, all, there are also these other terms, right? Which I'll do, I, I also did want to get into that with you. It, yeah, let's um, do that quickly. There's Gara. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's gutter, which is uncertainty. Uh -huh. That's also forbidden, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. G-H-A-R-A-R. -A -A -R. Yeah. Yeah. Gutter, yeah. Uh, do not sell a fish, which is still in the yeah, water. Yeah, yeah. And there was also this, there's, um, you can't, you can buy the cow, but not, uh, but not the, yeah. the, the calf that's inside <laughs> because you don't know if it's going to be delivered or not. Right. Yeah. So, uh, the thing is when you have fiat money, like the U S dollar, you're constantly engaging in investments. Cause if you don't invest your money, if you don't lend your money, you're just going to get devalued. Your money's just going to get devalued. So you have to engage in gambling and gambling as you know, which is, uh, uh, is banned in Islam, which is Masir, right? Speculation. You have to engage in that. You have to engage in these extremely haram things like Mesir and Garar yeah. uh, when you're when you're using uh, fiat. So money. I don't think we have time right? to get into some of this, but I would have loved to talk about this because I think again some of these things are kind of ridiculous. Um, one of the biggest things I think is so ridiculous. So about the Bitcoin, yeah, I disagree a little bit, but more interesting okay. what you said about um, the uncertainty principle and how you can't, you know, gambling. This is the reason why they consider int uh, insurance to be forbidden, which I think is the stupidest thing ever. Life insurance or any sort of insurance is a very useful, beneficial system. But because of Islamic finance regulations, many, many, many Muslims consider it forbidden to the point where, and let's, let's end with this. Mm -hmm. I remember a family, Somali family, begging outside the mosque because the house burned down. And guess what? They didn't have insurance because they were told insurance is haram. Now, instead of begging for money, if they just had insurance, you know, when if an accident happened, accident happened, you're paying a hundred bucks a month. You're literally paying. I pay like a hundred a month or something for fire insurance. It's so little. And, and it's like haram when, because of gutter, right? The uncertainty. It's haram because it's you're gambling. You get or you're gambling. Out. So that that's my theory. You're right. Yeah, right, right. because you're 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 assuming you're gambling. Your house is gonna get burned down. If your house burns down, yes. you win a million bucks. You get a new house. Yeah. But it's yeah. It, the, the, yeah. it's such a stupid thing to to do that to think like that. And Islamic finance again, we didn't have time. We don't have time now to get into it because I have to jump to another live stream. But yeah. in that in that um, world view, you can have insurance, but you can't pay money. It's again, we can get into that another time if we have time, but basically there are Islamic finance companies that will protect you in other ways. Like for example, anyways, we don't have time to talk about that, but there, <laughs> there's workarounds for that too. There, there's workarounds for everything. It's just not, you can't yeah. give money. That's all. G give me a 10% stake in your house and I'll insure <laughs> it. Yeah. yeah, something like that. I, I think what they, yeah. what they do is like, for example, you can have a monthly payment plan for like a cell phone and say, okay, if the cell phone breaks, we'll give you a new cell phone. I don't know why that's not considered gambling, but like the other one, yeah. there's some weird, like, I don't know. I don't even know if it makes sense, but like, yeah, there's workarounds for all of these things, right? I think one of the most popular ones is you pay down, you pay money every month towards a plot in a, in a burial plot, basically. So everybody donates money and that's kind of mm. like a community fund. I think the, there's some rules like the, the cooperative cannot make a profit. They cannot invest in anything haram, but like they can use that money and pool it for the community. So that sort of insurance is halal, but you can't pay anyone anything. So, because then it becomes okay. gambling. I don't know. Yeah. Nice. Well, thanks so much, uh, Abdullah. You've given me a lot. We've been talking for over an hour now and I have a lot of content to sift through. Uh, can you imagine? I have to I have to boil this down to about <laughs> five, five minutes or so. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be tough. So, yeah. 
No, but I think the rest of it was also good. I mean, for your channel, are you gonna upload the whole thing? Or? Yeah, yeah. I think this this conversation was great, and I think it gets yeah. to uh, many interesting topics. It was kind of random. I'm apologize for not being a little bit more organized and having topic by topic. I think you but... were very organized. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, but I did jump around a bit, like you know, talking about why the yeah. bank did this harm and why how my life is a little bit of a mixed bag. But yeah, good luck with uh, the podcast and everything. Looking forward to uh, uh, seeing yeah. it. Yeah, and good luck with the project and everything, man. Yeah, thank you. It'll be done in like uh, uh, two to th three weeks, I would say. Thanks for watching and thank you to all the patrons who continue to support me and the channel and the hard work that I'm doing here. If you like this channel, please consider joining the Patreon. Don't forget to subscribe and thumbs up the video. Leave me a comment and let me know what you think about what I said about Islamic, so-called Islamic mortgages and Islamic finance and if it has any place in the world today. This is your friendly ex-Muslim Abdullah Samir signing out.